إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد we start on the topic of traveling and fasting. What are the rulings for traveling and fasting? There are two hadith that we're going to mention here. There are two hadith from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam that we're going to mention. And these two hadith will give an overview regarding the topic of traveling when fasting. The first one, Hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu anhuma, anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama kharaja aam al-fathi ila Makkata fi Ramadan, fasama hatta balaga kura' al-ghameem, fasama al-nas, ثم دعا بقدح من ماء فرفعه حتى نظر الناس إليه ثم شرب فقيل له بعد ذلك إن بعض الناس قد صام فقال أولئك العصاة أولئك العصاة وفي لفظ فقيل له إن بعض الناس قد شق عليهم الصيام وإنما ينتظرون فيما فعلت فَدَعَا بِقَدَحٍ مِّمَّا بَعْدَ الْعَاصِرِ فَشَرِبًا رواه مسلم In this hadith then it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ left Medina on a journey towards Mecca and this hadith is referring to the actual journey when the Muslims went to Mecca to conquer Mecca. So that was in the year 8 Hijri. In Ramadan. It was in Ramadan in the year 8 Hijri. When the Muslims, they went out from Medina heading towards Mecca to conquer Mecca. So that was in Ramadan. So when they left Medina heading towards Mecca, it was in Ramadan, so they were all fasting. Everybody was fasting as they left and they went out towards Mecca. And it's a long journey, like leads to London, approximately 200 miles or more between Mecca and Medina. So they set out on this long journey and they were all fasting because it was in Ramadan. And they carried on until they got to a place known as Al-Ghamim. And that place, it is the name of a valley between Mecca and Medina. So when they got to that particular place, it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ told them to bring him a, a bowl of water. So they brought him a bowl of water. He then raised that bowl in front of all of the people, which was full of water. And then he drank it in front of them all. To show them... That on that day, because they are travelers, that he is not fasting. He drank the water, opened his fast in front of them all, to show them that today we're traveling, and in those days especially in the heat and the sun and the deserts, and just camels and, 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 and donkeys and horses, that's how they were traveling, difficult. So he drank the water to show them all that I'm not fasting. It is permissible for you to not fast because we are travelers. So he did that, drank the water in front of them all. 
But then after that, they came to him and they said that some people are still continuing fasting. Obviously many of them, they opened their fast when they saw the Prophet ﷺ has opened his fast and it's allowed not to fast because we're traveling. So many of them opened their fast. But a few of them carried on fasting. So they came and told the Prophet ﷺ that some of them are still fasting. So the Prophet ﷺ said, those are sinners. They are sinners. In another narration it mentions how they came to the Prophet ﷺ originally and they said that uh, before he had drunk the water in front of them all, they came to him and they said it's really difficult and some people are finding it a very big burden and they're just waiting to see what you're going to do. So then he got the water and he drank in front of them all. But as we said, some of them carried on fasting. Many of them opened it then, but some carried on. And the Prophet ﷺ said, they are sinners. So this hadith, what does it show us? It shows us very clearly that if you are traveling, you are allowed to not fast. You are allowed to miss the fasting if you are traveling. Because in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ and the companions were traveling from Medina to Mecca. They were fasting originally, but then the Prophet ﷺ opened his fast to show them all. You do not have to be fasting because we are on a journey and we are traveling. So that is a clear ruling in the Quran, in the Sunnah, and by consensus that a Muslim who is traveling does not have to fast. Also the narration indicates that if you started fasting, you were originally fasting that day, then in the middle of the day, later on you're on a journey, you are allowed to break the fast. It's not just about not fasting that whole day. If you were fasting that day to start with, and then you went on a journey or something, uh, because of that journey, in the middle of the day, you can break your fast. So when a person is traveling, you can miss that day. If you've been doing it already, you can break that day. If you are traveling, you are a traveler, you are on a journey. The hadith also indicates what? Uh-huh. The hadith also seems to indicate that it's not correct for someone to fast when traveling. Because when the Prophet ﷺ and all of the Muslims were traveling to Mecca, and he opened his fast to show them that because we're travelers, we don't have to fast, some people carried on fasting still. And the Prophet said, they are sinners. So that seems to indicate that it's not right to fast when you're traveling. That's what the narration seems to indicate. But bear in mind, we have another hadith here. And in this hadith, the hadith of Hamza ibn Amr al-Aslami, radiyallahu anhu, قال يا رسول الله he said oh messenger of Allah أجد بي قوة على الصيام في السفر فهل علي جناح he said oh messenger of Allah I find in myself strength and ability to fast when I'm traveling so is there any issue upon me to do so a companion came to the Prophet ﷺ and said to him, O Messenger of Allah, I've got strength, I've got ability to be able to fast when I'm traveling even. So is there any issue if I do that? Fast when I'm traveling? The Prophet ﷺ said, فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ هِيَّ رُخْصَةٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ فَمَنْ أَخَذَ بِهَا فَحَسَنٌ 
وَمَنْ أَحَبَّ أَنْ يَصُومْ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِ He said, وسلم, that it is a رُخْصَةً from Allah. It's a permission, a license, an ease that Allah has given you. What is that permission or license or ease that Allah has given us? That when we're traveling, we don't have to fast. So the Prophet ﷺ said, it's a permission Allah has given you. It's an exception, a license, an ease that Allah has given you. So whoever takes that permission, then that's good. Whoever takes that permission is good then. Meaning whoever decides not to fast when they are traveling, to take the permission and not fast when traveling, then they've done good. It's a permission Allah has given you. Whoever takes that permission, then good. But then the Prophet ﷺ also said, وَمَنْ أَحَبَّ أَنْ يَسُومَ فَلَا but whoever wants to fast when traveling, whoever wants to fast, then there's no issue upon him. There's no problem upon him. There's no issue upon him for whoever wants to fast when they are traveling. So in this hadith, again, we learn very clearly the permissibility of not having to fast when you're traveling. That part is the same. We also learn that this is a permission Allah has given us and that it's good to take that permission and not fast when traveling. But also that the Prophet ﷺ said, if you decide to fast though, then okay, there's no problem. But the first hadith was saying that the ones who fasted, they are sinners. This one at the end is saying, if you want to fast, then no problem. So then what's the conclusion? But what's the sunnah? That's what we're trying to conclude. In the second hadith, the sunnah is telling you it's no problem. So it's all about ability. Ability and the type of journey, etc. That's what it comes down to. In the first hadith, what type of journey were they on? A very difficult one. Medina to Mecca. Like leads to London. Going on camels and horses and walking in 40 degrees desert. Difficult journey. And they were expecting maybe a battle when they got there. They were going to go and conquer Mecca. So you need to have strength when you get there. So that situation was not a suitable situation for anybody to be fasting. The ability to fast was not there. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said the ones who are insisting on fasting, then they are sinners. That's not right. In this situation, you don't have the ability to fast. This type of journey, this heat, a battle possibly expected. All of that circumstance, then you don't have the ability to be fasting now. So in a situation where you don't have the ability to fast, the journey is difficult, the burden is great, then the first hadith is telling us, you should not fast on that type of journey. And it would be wrong of you to fast on that type of journey. When there's such burden upon you and such difficulty and hardship, and the situation just doesn't allow ability for you, it would be wrong of you to try and fast on that type of journey. If you did though, would your fast be valid or not? It would be valid. Your fast would be valid, but on that type of journey where so much burden and difficulty is upon you, and you don't have the ability, you shouldn't fast. In the second hadith of Hamza ibn Amr, it was a different situation. He said, I've got strength and ability. So he's talking about a journey where there's no difficulty in it. It's an easy journey. He's talking about a situation where he's got the ability. It's easy. There's no real burden upon him. There's no difficulty upon him. There's no hardship. It's a, an easy enough journey. So in that situation, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, well, it's a permission Allah's given you. If you take the permission and don't fast, that's good. But 
Anybody who wants to fast in that type of situation where the journey is easy enough, then okay, no problem. So it's all about the type of journey and the difficulty of the journey and your ability. If you don't have the ability and it's a difficult journey, then you should not fast. If the journey isn't a problem for you, you have the ability, you have the strength, then in that case, the ruling is, you have the ability, the journey isn't too difficult, then in that situation, the ruling is, that you have the choice. In that situation, you have the choice. The Prophet said, it's a permission. If you take it, good. But if you want to fast, then no problem. You have a choice in that situation then. If you want to fast, fast. If you want to still miss it and take the permission, then the Prophet said, that's good too. So if the journey you're going to go on is an easy journey, it's not really a big problem, you have the ability, which these days, many journeys could be classed like that. Many journeys these days could be classified in that way. Going from here to London, very simple. You go to Leeds train station, 10 minute drive in your car, comfortable. Somebody drops you off, sit down in your train from Leeds train station. Even if you're waiting for your train, you go and sit down in the cafe, relaxing. You get on your train, sit down on your comfortable seat with tables in front of you, plug sockets, Wi-Fi, everything there. Relax for two hours, get off two hours, two and a half hours direct train. Get off at London and you walk off. Job done. Where was your journey? Where was your difficulty? Where was anything? Nothing. For most young, fit, healthy people, there is no burden in doing a journey like that. Anything. Nothing. So now you could decide, well, it's Ramadan and I need to go to London, but it's such an easy journey. Gonna just go to the train station, relax in the cafe, get on the train, sit and relax. And then get off at the other end, you won't even feel it. So easy. I might as well just fast. Why leave a day to make up later on? I might as well just fast. It's so easy a journey anyway. Okay, you can do it. But if you decide, well, it is a permission Allah has given us, and Allah does love that you take the permissions He gives you. There's a narration, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ أَن تُؤْتَارُ Allah loves that you take the permissions He gives you. So you think it's such an easy journey, but Allah does love that we take the permissions He gives us. So I'm going to take the permission, I'm going to miss the fasting for the journey. Fair enough, excellent, good, you can do that too. And then you make up that day afterwards. So that is regarding the issue of traveling. The other point is, how far do you have to travel to be considered a traveler? What is a journey? This is obviously different about, there are some opinions where they say 50 miles. 49 miles, 50 miles, 80 kilometers. That is mentioned by some scholars that once you travel that distance, you are then considered upon a journey. Anything less than that, and it would not constitute a journey. Other scholars, they say, if you leave the buildings of your city, so as soon as you get to the outskirts of Leeds, you get past that, you're a traveler. As soon as you get out of Leeds, on the outskirts of Leeds, you get past that, 10, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever it takes you, that's it, you're a traveler after that. Others, they say, like Shaykh al-Islam, he mentioned, it is all about the tradition of the people, the culture of the people, what the people consider a journey to be. So if the people consider that a journey from here to Manchester, everybody says that's, that's a journey, that's far. And that's the way people think, then okay, that's a journey. From here to Beeston, people say that, Beeston, that's, you know, it's a long way. It's a long way. If you're going to go to Beeston tomorrow, come around tonight, have dinner with me, you know, you're going to go all the way to Beeston tomorrow, who knows, you're going to come back, not. So, if people had that type of ideology regarding Beeston, okay, it's a journey. When you get there, combine short in your prayers, miss your fast. If that was the culture and the norm of the people, of course we know it's not. So in the norms of the people we know. You go down to Beeston, you go down to these other areas of Leeds, nobody's going to say you're a traveler. Even in the norms and the, the culture of the people, you talk about Bradford, for example. 
It's very possible many people may say, Bradford, we go there every other day. Half my cousins live in Bradford. <coughs> we could drive down to Bradford every evening. We go have dinner, come back. Many people may consider Bradford isn't a journey. It's nowhere. It's not a, a mission. It's just there. So if that is the way people think about Bradford, then upon this opinion, you're not a traveler when you go to Bradford. Because if people don't consider that a journey in their tradition, in their culture, in their norms, then it's not a journey. How do you know what the norms of the people are with that type of thing, with the behavior of people? So when you tell somebody you're going to London, they may say to you, okay, okay just you know, make sure you fill up your car first. I ran out of fuel once, make sure you fill up your car before you set off. A normal thing to say to somebody who says they're going to go to London, normal. They say to you, okay, just check your tire pressures as well. Take a spare tire, I got one, I can let you borrow it if you want, same size. Just in case, normal, normal. So that you know now, in the norms of the people, they view this as a journey going to London. If you say to somebody, you're going to Bradford tomorrow, well, they say to you, all right, make sure you check your fuel in the car. You know, got a spare tire, it's the same side, just, just in case you want to take it. Bradford, you know, Bradford, you want to you know, just take the tire, you want to just check your oil, you want to come and look at your car, I, I know about oil and everything. You want me to check all these things before you set off tomorrow. People are going to say that? Nobody. So in the norms of the people, in the norms of the people, from Leeds to Bradford isn't a journey. In the culture and the norms of the people, it's not a journey. Because by their behavior and their attitude and how they talk about things, you can determine the norms. If you start saying to somebody all well, those types of things because they say they're going to Bradford, they'll think you're having a, a laugh with them. What are you talking about? I'm just going to Bradford. Because people don't view it in their norms as a journey. So that is an opinion, and it's a very good opinion too, of some of the scholars, that the norms of the people determine what a journey is. The norms of the people, you tell them you're going to Birmingham, London, yes, they'll all consider that as a journey. You tell them you're going around here somewhere, local here and there, half an hour drive, nobody thinks that in their norms as a journey. So you have these different opinions, there is different opinions about that, about what constitutes a journey. Then after that, عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما حديث ابن عباس then it mentions that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said رخص للشيخ الكبير أن يفطر ويطعم عن كل يوم مسكينا ولا قضاء عليه that Another permission or license or ease has been given. In this hadith, the Prophet said, a permission has been given for the elderly in age to not have to fast. Meaning, those who are elderly in age and they physically can't manage it anymore. Their bodies and old in age, weak, they can't manage fasting anymore. They've, they've become so old and weak and frail that they can't manage fasting anymore. So the hadith says, a permission has been given to those elderly like that, who are no longer able to fast, that they're allowed to miss. And the hadith says, وَيُطْعِمْ عَنْ كُلِّ يَوْمٍ مِسْكِينًا Instead, they have to feed a poor person for every day instead. Feed a poor person for every day. They can miss the fasting and feed a poor person for every day. So in the previous section, we were told about the permission given to the travelers. In this section, we're being told about the permission given to elderly in age who are no longer able to fast. Somebody old in age, physically can't do it anymore, but their mind is still intact. Their mind is still good. If somebody becomes old in age and their mind is gone now, it's, they don't recognize, they don't understand, it's all gone, then that type of person is not obligatory upon them to fast in the first place. So they don't have to feed anybody for every day. If they've lost their mind when they've gone so old, 
They don't understand anything. They don't recognize their own people, family. Nothing is all gone. They don't have any understanding or capacity anymore. Then it's not obligatory upon them to fast in the first place. But elderly people whose minds are still all good. Their minds are all still good, but they're just too weak to be able to fast. Then they can miss and they don't have to make up. They just miss and that's it. Instead, they give the feeding of a poor person for every day that they miss. وَهِيَ إِطْعَامُ مِسْكِينَ عَنْ كُلِّ يَوْمِ مِقْدَارَ نِصْفِ صَاعَ عَنْ كُلِّ يَوْمِ كِيلُوَ وَالنِصْفِ عَنْ كُلِّ يَوْمِ And that feeding of the poor person, it approximately equates to a kilogram and a half of food. A kilogram and a half of food. وَهَذَا كَمَا فِي قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى وَعَلَى الَّذِينَ يُطِيقُونَهُ فِدِيَةٌ طَعَامُ مِسْكِينَ يُطِيقُونَهُ يعني يَعْجِزُونَ عَنِ الصِّيَامُ وَهُمْ أَشَّيْخُ الْكَبِيرُ وَمِثْلُهُ الْمَرِيضُ مَرَضًا مُزْمِنًا There is another category of people who have the same ruling as this. Here we're being told somebody elderly in age, they still got their mind and everything, but their body's gone now. They're not able to fast anymore, too weak. That they can just miss, they don't have to make anything up, they just got to feed a poor person for every day. There's another type of person who has that same ruling. They can miss, don't have to make anything up, just feed a poor person for every day. Nothing to do with the women, another category. Somebody who is terminally ill. Somebody who has some type of, not even terminally, but somebody who has a chronic illness. Somebody who has an illness where it is not expected they will ever recover from the illness. Because illness has two types. You have an illness where you are expected to eventually recover. Medication, all this type of thing, whatever it is, you expect to recover. You have a fever, after a week or two you expect to recover back to full health. You have a headache, you expect afterwards to recover to full health. That's one type of illness a person may have. The other type is where doctors tell you there is no expectation of recovery from this. You're going to be like this now for the rest of your life. You're going to be on this illness, on this medication for the rest of your life. We don't have any cure for it. We don't expect you to get any better. You're going to be ill like this for the rest of your life. So now if a person is ill like that and his illness is something that prevents him from fasting. Because remember, just because you're ill doesn't mean you don't fast. Depends on the type of illness. Just because somebody's got a headache doesn't mean you don't fast. You have to have an illness that is actually going to cause you some problem. Maybe if you fast with that illness, it makes the illness more severe, more painful. Okay, you can miss that. Maybe it doesn't make it more severe or painful, but it prolongs the time required for you to recover from it. In that case, you're allowed to miss the fasting too. So, if a person has some long illness forever now, no recovery expected, and it's an illness that does cause the problem, so you can't fast, that type of person can miss. You can't say to him, make them up afterwards, because like we just said, it is not expected he will ever recover. So, the next year, he's going to be in the same situation. The year after, every year, every day, every month, for the rest of his life, he's going to be in the same situation as now. There's never going to be a time when he can make up because it is not expected he will ever recover. So in that case, he can miss and do the same, just feed a poor person for every day that he misses. What if, what if he doesn't come? If he doesn't have a financial... That then... The scholars have a difference over if you're unable to feed a poor person. Some scholars say, then there's nothing upon you. What can you do then? If that is how it is, that is how it is. Nothing upon you in that case. It drops. Other scholars, they say, actually it doesn't drop. It stays with you up until a time comes when you are able. Maybe right now the person is poor, he can't do it. Maybe this time next year something happens, the decree changes, he ends up with some wealth. So then do it then. 
So some scholars say you just do it when you have the ability. If you don't have the ability before that, nothing upon you up until then. So now then, after we've done all of that section there, we can now make some conclusions. One of the conclusions we can make is that there are four types of people, generally speaking, who are allowed Islamically to miss fasting. Number one, the traveler. Done it. Number two, the ill person. And that is two subcategories. <coughs> an ill person who is expected to recover, and part B, an ill person who is not expected to recover. The ill person who is expected to recover can miss the fasting at the time because of the difficulty as we spoke of, but his ruling will be that afterwards, when he does then recover as it's expected, he has to make up those days. Part B, never expected to recover, so he just feeds a poor person for every day. Number three, from the categories who are allowed to miss the fasting, the one we just did? Elderly person. Not the one who is not obligatory upon. The ones who it is obligatory upon, but they're allowed to miss. So here number three is the elderly person. The elderly person whose mind is intact, but physically his body is too frail, too weak, and he can't do it. Miss it, and he has to feed a poor person for every day. The first one we didn't mention, the traveler, miss it, and then make it up when you come back from your journey. And the fourth category is then the pregnant women. Sorry. The fourth category is the women on the period and the postnatal bleeding. The women who are on the period and on the postnatal bleeding after uh, childbirth. So a woman who is on her period is not allowed to fast. Even if she did, it wouldn't count. And the same with a woman on postnatal bleeding, she cannot fast. So what's the ruling on them though? So they have to make up those days afterwards. A woman is on her period for a week, for example. After Eid, any time up until next Ramadan, you have the opportunity to make up that week. A woman was on a postnatal bleeding, she missed some of Ramadan, maybe all of Ramadan because of it. Afterwards, then you make up those days. So for the woman who is on the postnatal bleeding or the period, then they will make up those days afterwards. The only thing left then is women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. That's a complicated issue. We'll do that one from the beginning of next lesson. So we can do it properly from the beginning the issue of pregnant women and postnatal bleeding. That issue we'll do from next week. But for now, let's carry on with the next hadith. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال جاء رجل إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال هلكت يا رسول الله قال وما أهلكك قال وقعت على امرأتي في رمضان فقال هل تجد ما تعتق به رقبة قال لا قال فهل تستطيع أن تسوم شهرين متتابعين قال لا قال فهل تستطيع هل تجد ما تطعم ستين مسكينا قال لا ثم جلس فأتي النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بعرق فيه تمر فقال تصدق بهذا فقال أعلى أفقر منا فما بين لابتيها أهل بيت أهوج إليه منا this narration now is about the issue of intercourse during Ramadan. We know that it is haram to have intercourse during fasting. During the nights, permissible. But during the day when you're fasting, impermissible to have intercourse. In this hadith, it mentions that a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, that, O Messenger of Allah, I am destroyed. Messenger of Allah, I am destroyed. The Prophet ﷺ said, And what has destroyed you? What has destroyed you? What's happened? He said, 
basically that I had intercourse with my wife during the day of fasting. So then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Can you find a slave to free? Can you find a slave to free him? Have you got a slave to free? He said, I can't, I don't. So then the Prophet ﷺ said, Are you able to fast two months consecutively in a row? Every day. He said, I can't do that. Medically, whatever. He said, I can't do that. Not able to do that. So then the Prophet ﷺ said, Can you feed 60 poor people? He said, I don't have the ability to do that either. So three options were given in order. Free a slave? He said, I can't. Fast two months in a row? He said, I can't. Feed 60 poor people? He said, I can't. So then he went and sat down. And the Prophet ﷺ was sat down. There was a gathering. He went and sat down. The Prophet ﷺ just carried on. Because now the three options, they are the three options of the sunnah. They were given to the man. He said, I can't do any of them. And then he just went and sat down. The Prophet ﷺ, they were sitting there. Then, later on, a while later, somebody came in with a bowl of dates for the Prophet ﷺ. Somebody came in with a bowl of dates for the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he got this bowl of dates, he said, Where's that man gone? The one who was asking the question just a while ago. He was still there, just sat down somewhere. He said, Ana. He said, it's me, O Messenger. That was me asking the question about the, the intercourse, etc. So then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Take these dates then. Because the other three options, he said he can't do any of them. Prophet ﷺ said, These dates then. Take these dates and go give them in charity. He said, the man said, he said, is there anybody in Medina poorer than my family, O Messenger of Allah? Who can I go give charity to? We are the poorest family in Medina. So now even this fourth option, he's telling him, he's telling the Prophet ﷺ, we are the poorest family. Who am I supposed to go give charity to? We are the ones who need charity. We're the poorest family. There's nobody I can do it with. So then the Prophet ﷺ, it mentions, began laughing. Until his teeth, the front teeth became apparent. He was laughing. Because the man now, all of the options, he's saying, I can't do any of them. So the Prophet ﷺ laughed. And he said, in that case, go and take them and give them to your own family. Take them and give them to your own family. So this hadith is all about this topic of intercourse during Ramadan. What to understand from this hadith is point number one, intercourse during fasting breaks your fast. It nullifies your fast, it breaks your fast, and that is in the Quran as well, Surah Al-Baqarah 187 mentions this topic as well. So having intercourse during the day breaks your fast. During the night it's permissible. After you open your fast, at night time allowed. But during the day when you're fasting, haram and it breaks your fast. Also, what we learn from this hadith is that if you do end up doing that, there is an expiation upon you. It's not just a case of make up that day, there is a lot more. You have an expiation, a kafara, and it's in order. The first thing that you have to do if you're able is free a slave. If you're not able, then the next option becomes applicable, which is to... Fast two months. If you're not able, then the next option becomes available, which is feed 60 poor people in that order. You can't just say, okay, forget the fasting, forget the, I'll just go feed 60 people. You can't. Either free a slave first, if you're not able, then the second option becomes available. If you're not able, then the third option becomes available. So those are the three in order for the kafara the expiation that a person has to give if he ends up committing that uh, intercourse during the day of Ramadan. The hadith seems to indicate that if you're not able to do any of the three options, that it just drops then. Because after initially those three options, the man said he can't do them, that was it. He was like, just went then, the Prophet must have just maybe carried on with his thing then, and he just went and sat down, that was the end of it. Nothing else to be said. 
So initially that's all that happened. He was given the three options, he couldn't do any of them, and that was it. He just went and sat down, Prophet Sassam carried on with his thing, that was the end of it. So some scholars they say it appears to indicate if you're not able genuinely to do any of the three, then it drops. But other scholars they say no it doesn't drop, it stays upon your shoulders up until a time comes when you are able to do it. And if a time comes eventually in your life when you are able to do one of those three, then you got to do it. It stays with you. That's a difference of opinion. The second difference of opinion as well is, that if this happens, the man and the woman, they have intercourse by agreement. It's not like the man forced the wife by agreement. They both had intercourse and they know now they've done wrong. So now is the expiation upon both of them each? Or is it just upon the man? Both? Just the man? Even though they both agreed? In the hadith, the man came and he said that he's done this after he was given the three options and he couldn't do any of them, he was just basically, just went. The Prophet ﷺ, at no point, at any stage, did he say to the man, alright, okay, well, if you can't do any of the three, what about your wife? Can she do any of the three? The Prophet ﷺ, how come he never ever asked about the wife? What can she do? Can she free a slave? Can she do one of these? Can she free the 60? How come the Prophet never mentioned about the wife or asked anything about the wife or told the man that you need to go tell your wife about this or that? How come the wife was never mentioned in the hadith? (coughs) Some scholars say it's because the ruling only applies to the man. That the expiation is only upon the man. If it was upon the wife, then how come the Prophet never mentioned her anywhere in the hadith? How come he never said to the man, okay, what about your wife then? Can she do this? Can she do that? Can she feed 60? Never mentioned it. How come? The scholars say it must be for a reason. And that reason must be because the wife isn't applicable for this expiation. The expiation is only upon the man. Other scholars, they say, no, that's not necessary. It's not necessary and they take the opinion that the expiation is upon both of them. But that is again a discussion amongst the scholars on that topic. <coughs> the only other issue here as well is, if you had that intercourse forgetfully, not on purpose, you forgot, like you might eat or drink forgetfully, you forgot. And then you remember it's Ramadan. Then is the expiation upon you or not? Again, there's a difference of opinion. Some scholars say, no, it's not. رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِن نَسِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا Do not hold us accountable if we forget or we make a mistake. But other scholars, they say, no, having intercourse, that's a bit different to forgetting and eating and drinking. So in that case, they say, no, if that occurred, there would still be expiation upon you. Again, one of the evidences is, the Prophet ﷺ never asked the man ever in the hadith, did it occur on purpose or was it because you forgot? How come the Prophet never asked that question? The scholar said because it didn't matter. Whether it was on purpose or forgetfully, the ruling was going to be the same. That's why the Prophet never inquired. If the ruling was going to be different, if it was that if you forgot then there was no expiation, that would have been the first thing the Prophet would have asked him. Is it because you forgot or is it on purpose? The man said it's because he forgot. If the ruling was different, that's it, done. Why did the Prophet never ask him which reason it was for? Because it didn't matter. Whether it was forgetfulness, whether it was on purpose, it was going to be the expiation. Make sense? Scholars say, look, if it was going to be a different ruling for forgetfulness, then the Prophet would have asked the man, was it forgetfulness or was it purpose? He never asked him, indicating it didn't matter, it was irrelevant, that's why it was never asked. And therefore they say, whether you forget or on purpose, the expiation is upon you. Another similar hadith here from Aisha radiallahu anha and Umm Salama radiallahu anhuma. Anna Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yusbihu junuban min jima'a thumma yagtasil wa yasum. 
This is now if a person has intercourse during the night in Ramadan, which is permissible. And maybe that person has not made the ghusl all the way up until the close time comes, the fajr time enters. And he still hasn't made ghusl. So now what's the ruling about his fast for the day? Had intercourse at night, then maybe he went and had suhoor and stuff, and by the time he went to go have ghusl, then he realized the time's gone. The close time, the fajr entry time has started. He hasn't made his ghusl yet. So what's the ruling for that day now? It's valid. Even though he started the day upon janaba, not even upon ghusl, impurity. Correct. It's still valid. Janaba, the fact that you've not made a ghusl doesn't affect or impact fasting. So if a person had intercourse overnight, and then he looks and he realizes there's only 15 minutes left till the closing time. So if you go make a ghusl now, you're going to come back and gone. No time to eat anything, no suhoor. So in that case, you decide, okay, I'll have the suhoor now. By the time he finishes the suhoor, there's going to be barely a couple of minutes left. He's going to make the ghusl. He's going to be making the ghusl into the time of actual fasting. Gone into it now. So that's okay. That is okay. That is permissible to do. So not having a ghusl does not invalidate your fast. You can have that ghusl after the time starts. Obviously, you're going to make it very soon after the time starts because you need to pray fajr. But you could do it after the time starts if needed. The last hadith we're going to do today. An Aisha radiallahu anha anna Rasulullah sallallahu That somebody who dies and they've got fasts left to make up, then the next of kin makes up those fasts on behalf of that person. The meaning of this is now, imagine somebody had a week to make up from last Ramadan. How long do you have to make up that week? <coughs> till next Ramadan. You have all that year till next Ramadan. If you die six months after last Ramadan, it means you still had another six months, five months, six months up to the next Ramadan left yet. And you die now. And you haven't made them up yet. Are you held accountable for that? No. Because you still had a few months left where you could have made it, but you died. But you had that time left yet. So you're not going to be accountable for that. But imagine now somebody didn't make them up until the next Ramadan came in. And he fasted all of that one. On Eid day, he passes away. Now he's got seven days from the last Ramadan he still hadn't made up. Are you accountable for those ones? Now you are accountable for those ones. Those ones is what the hadith is saying now. That the next of kin should make up the ones that you are accountable for now. In the first situation, the man dies after six months. Is he accountable for them yet? No, because he still had another six months left. So you don't make up those ones. He wasn't accountable for them yet. But if he goes all the way through to next Ramadan and he hasn't done them, now he is accountable. He's done wrong. He should have done them. So those ones, the hadith says, the next of kin can make them up for him. But there is a difference of opinion on this though. Some scholars say, yes, the hadith says, the next of kin, fast those days on behalf of that person. So do it. That is one opinion. The other opinion says, no, you can only make up fasts for another person if they are non-default uh, fasts. Meaning in the sharia, we've got certain fasts that are mentioned in the sharia. Ramadan. They are default fasts. In the second opinion, they say any default fasts, Ramadan, you cannot make up on behalf of anybody else. Only obligatory non-default ones you can. What could be obligatory but non-default? If somebody makes an oath. Somebody takes an oath that they're going to fast a week at some point, And then they die. They've now made it obligatory to fast a week by taking the oath. Was that week obligatory by default? No. They made it obligatory by taking the oath. So that is obligatory, but not by default. Those ones, the second opinion scholars say, you can make those up. 
If somebody made an oath and they died before making those fasts, then you can do those for them. But Ramadan ones, no. Why do they have this opinion, the second opinion? Because there are some hadith where there's a woman who comes to the Prophet ﷺ and she says, my mother died, she had made a vow to fast and she died. And so the Prophet ﷺ said, if she had a debt, would you have paid it off? The woman says, yes. So the Prophet says, the debt to Allah is more deserving to be paid off. So that vow she made to fast your mother, make those days for her. So the scholar said, look, the hadith was about fasting of vowing, oath. Not just Ramadan or any other fasting. So you have one opinion saying, no, it's okay, it's open. Anyone you can do it. Ramadan ones, you can make them up for somebody. Second opinion, no, it's only about vowing and oaths, those types of fasts. Not Ramadan ones, you can't do them on behalf of somebody else. So you have those two different opinions about that. Hmm. The school is advising to, to write this in a will, because the family might not be aware of it. Well, you would never expect that, because you expect to do those days. And if you die after Ramadan comes in, then now it's when it's gone too late. But then maybe, maybe after it gets to Ramadan and you haven't done it, you should inform somebody perhaps then. Before Ramadan comes in the next year, when you've got no reason to tell anybody because you still expect to do it yet. Time is there. So you wouldn't put it in your will or anything then. Only after Ramadan comes in, then perhaps now you know you've done wrong. And if you, you, know, you don't know if you're going to live till after Eid, then the only opportunity arises. Before that, you wouldn't do it anyway. Anything else? It's the husband and wife. Can, the husband can do it for the wife. Can, yeah, yeah, for, that, for, this, uh, for the vowing one. Upon that opinion, husband can do it for the wife, wife can do it for husband. Yeah, you know, like, the travelers got the permission not to pass, but what people are, like, office in school, like, they'll miss a day, like, in Ramadan, or do after, can you pick and choose, or is it's not? Work isn't a reason to miss, unless you are traveling to work. If you go to Birmingham to work every day, you're a traveler, so you can miss because you're a traveler. But if you work in Leeds here, you can't miss because of work. Work isn't a reason to miss fasting. If you're traveling out to work, you're on a journey to work, then because of the journey you can miss. Is that same for children at school as well? Children at school? The ones who are of the age to be fasting, then you have to fast. School isn't a reason to miss. If you travel every day to walk that far, is that... Even if somebody works in Birmingham, every day they drive 6 a.m. to go to Birmingham from Leeds, every night they come back home again, every day they're traveling, they can miss. When can they make up? Make up on the weekends... Uh, when you have your holidays, you can do that. We, you're not going to be working seven days a week. There'll be one day off, two days off every week. So you can fast those. And then after Ramadan, every weekend, keep fasting until you make up those days, for example. That's if it's a burden. If it's not a burden, fast when you go to work. What happens if people don't get the time to make it till next Ramadan? Then no, if you don't get time for a valid reason, then okay. But you can't just say, I didn't get time without any valid reason. Then you're a sinner. And then you have to, after that next Ramadan, still make them up and feed a poor person every day. If you didn't have any reason, you didn't make them up. Regarding the intercourse, if, if the kafara, if you decide to do the two months of fasting. No, decide. If you can't do the fasting, yeah. Uh, mm. If you miss, because it's consecutive mm. condition. So if you miss one day. Allah, the, the, the fiqh of all of those things then, and where the rulings are going to be, what reason you miss, etc., I'm not sure. We'll have to look into all of those details. Uh, there'll be books of fiqh, explanations about the details of all those things in the fatawa, but Allah, we'll have to look into the details of that. All right, we'll round off on that for tonight. Next week, carry on approximately 7 p.m. again, inshallah ta'ala.